Welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. I'm Nathan. And uh, how are you this fine Sunday, sunny Sunday in November? Sunny Sunday, Christmas has begun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's We're a month out. Yeah. That's yeah, scary. It's, fuck, it's fucked. Well, yeah, uh, pretty much Christmas here starts as soon as Alex's birthday's over. Mm. So Christmas decorations. Decorations are in the corner. In the, yeah, they haven't been put up yet. That'll be, I don't know if it's this weekend or a little bit later, but they're out. Mm -hmm. I've started making my eggnog. Yep. Uh, she's about to draft her list of Christmas movies to watch. We're in full swing. Nice, nice. Going to have to work in some horrors this year. Oh, I think that's, I think that's what she's going for. Pretty Excellent. much as many horrors as we can. I've started my Christmas shopping uh, mainly because of the Black Friday sales, mm -hmm. which working in retail, Black Friday goes for a whole fucking week. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's not really Black Friday anymore. Yeah. It's Good Lord, it's been a tough week. But um, I mean, you know, money's good. We're buying a new TV after this. Nice. So uh, that'll be that'll be exciting, and uh, I'm almost ready for it. I'm almost ready for it. Oh yeah, no, I haven't actually started my Christmas shopping. That'll be mm. like three weeks from now. And then we get our friends like Secret Santa as well. Uh huh. Uh huh. And there's another friend's birthday coming up. Oh, still, my dad's birthday next month. Yeah, god damn. Too many. Anyway, uh, in horror news, have you seen the stuff that's going on with Scream Seven? So I saw that. The main chick, what's her name? Melissa Barrera. Melissa Barrera. If I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> she, uh, I, I read, I, I didn't actually see from the horse's mouth, but I okay. read that she posted some like anti-Semitic stuff yep. on social media uh, regarding like the Hamas-Israeli war and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, she's now being dropped for the next Scream film. Is that correct? Uh, that's the gist of it. That's the, pretty much the statement that, mm. uh, oh, what's, what's the studio called? Radio Silence. Okay. That's the statement that they put out. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's obviously a touchy subject. But if you look at the the posts that she put on like Instagram, and Twitter, they they might be construed as anti-Semitic because she references um, how you can't like see both points of view on the war uh, on social media, and so like the mm -hmm. algorithms and the media is only leaning towards one side. And she sort of references like I'll let you deduce why that is, which some people say is her hinting at, like, the old anti-Semitic trope of them controlling, like, the Jews controlling the media. Right, so, uh, like, propaganda and... Yeah, mm. but I think it's... That's reading way too much into it. I think she's just, like, supporting fucking Palestinians. Yeah. And so for a studio to then react in a way to just drop her from the movie, especially when she's the main fucking character. Dude. And there's, pe there's other celebrities out there that have been have said way worse shit and not been dropped. Because mm. Susan Sarandon also was dropped by her agency because she God. said some supporting stuff for Palestine. Dude, I hate cancel culture. Like, yeah. I see and it in the music industry. Especially when it's completely unwarranted. Yeah, like in the music industry, it happens a lot with like sexual assault allegations. Which, yeah. Which like, I get that happens and it's awful. But um, like there was an instance, like one of our favorite local bands, Hands Like Houses, like one of the members was, you know, had these sexual assault allegations or some sort of allegations um, and he got thrown out of the bus and they got dropped from the label. And then after the lawsuit played out, he was like found innocent. Yeah, completely. And it's like, all right, well, their career's fucked. And then the singer Trenton Woodley got kicked out of the band. Yeah, but that was crazy. And it's like, well, yeah, he wasn't the one, I think, that had the allegations. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's, um, uh, yeah, I just hate it in like the music industry as well when that happens. And, uh, you know, everyone's like, they, they shoot first and ask questions later. Mm. And it's just, like, as yeah. Soon, as soon as something gets thrown at them, they just, whoever's in charge just drops them. It's like, I don't want that mm. to taint our picture. Yeah. When really, like, that's harming Radio Silence more than if they would have just kept them up. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard with, like, the digital age as well, where everyone's, you know, throwing their two cents into the wishing well on social media. And then everyone's so sensitive and 
hyper reactive mm. to to things that may like slightly misalign <laughs> with their views and values and everything blows up and i guess as well in like the film ministry when there's so many parties invested in a project if like one person does something and then the whole thing has to you know be tarred with the same brush i mean yeah but then explain how like roman polanski can like accept <laughs> awards when he's like, a no, he was a known offender. Yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, you made that point in the seven episode where it's like, is it okay to enjoy the art of bad people? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, when they're not bad people and people are just saying they're bad people with no proof, then yeah. I don't know. Uh, but then also for Scream 7, like, so they've lost Melissa Barrera. So cool. The main character they're building up. Mm. Uh, they've also lost Jenna Ortega because... Mm. She was cited as saying uh, just scheduling conflicts with, I think, season two of Wednesday. Okay. But, okay. I mean, that surely that's just a thinly veiled, like, all right, well, I'm going to leave as well because you fucked up Melissa Barrera. Well, I thought Wednesday got canned after the first season, even though it was, like, one of the highest rated ones on I, Netflix. I don't know. I okay. don't know then. Interesting. Interesting. But, you know, it was scheduling conflicts. So, they've lost the two main characters of mm. the new, like, stuff they were setting up. At this point, are they even going to fucking make Scream 7? So... And if I- so... Should we even watch it? Fuck that. Yeah, I'm guessing that means they hadn't started filming. Yeah, I think it was... I don't even know if it's still in the writing process yet. Like, yeah. I don't think they've okay. got a script or anything. It's just, like, confirmed. Yeah. Okay. Strange. Yeah, but, look, I was disappointed with Scream 6, anyway. Like, the fifth one was the one that was just called Scream, right? And had <laughs> Dylan Minnette and... Yeah. I thought that was okay, but, uh, yeah. Scream 7... Uh, sorry, Scream 6... Like, jumped to New York for some reason. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was a bit elaborate. But, it, you know, it was all fun. Okay. Well, anyway, enough of the news of horror. Let, let's <laughs> let's go segment. into the... Let's talk about today's movie. What are we talking about the here? The film we're actually discussing is uh, Drag Me to Hell. Mm-hmm. Yes. 2009 film. And uh, this is one that I had not seen until we watched it uh, this week for the pod. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. I'd seen maybe the ending scene because mm. uh, it's just popped up on various like videos I've seen about horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by Sam Raimi, his foray back into horror. Yeah, yeah. We haven't touched on that that fella since uh, Evil Dead in, I don't know, like episode six, I think it was. Yeah. So he's popped up every now and then because he was, you know, one of the more influential, uh, you know, 80s horror directors mm. and uh, also written by him and his older brother, Ivan. Yes. So family fair indeed, on this one, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, the film was starring Alison Lohman. Have you seen her in anything else? I have not. Okay. Uh, I, l- I looked up her credits and I, they, they didn't really look familiar to me. Yeah, because her face wasn't familiar to me, but the name is. And I okay. don't know if maybe there's someone else with the same last name in, in the film industry that I've seen, but... I don't know. Anyway, um, Justin Long, which was... Of Tusk fame. <laughs> I still got to see that. This seems so weird, but so funny. Um, yeah, I haven't seen him in anything for... Years, man. Like, probably fucking Dodgeball or Jeepers Creepers was the last thing I saw him in. Oh, Goosebumps. The fucking... Yeah. The new Goosebumps the, show. The that TV I've show. Not watched. Yeah. I really got to see that. Um, and Lorna Raver, who played Mrs. Ganoush. Ganoush, yeah. But yeah. No, decent cast. And uh, it was made on a budget of $30 million, which is quite substantial. Uh, and ended up making $90.8 million at the box office. So, tripled its budget. Which is not a bad return. Not a bad return at all. And uh, I remember when this came out, um, it was pretty popular. Like, people around home were talking about it. Uh, I think we were going to rent it at Blockbuster or something and didn't get around to it. <laughs> Blockbuster. But, um, yeah, and I picked up this uh, sort of, like, re-release on Blu-ray. Like, a, limited to a 1,000, I think, with, like, a lenticular cover. 
Um, it had the theatrical and the unrated cuts on it. So I picked that up and I watched the unrated version, of course. Yeah. And on the back, it said they were both the same runtime. So we were talking about this before we started rolling. I think maybe it's just like some of the gore was uh, cut short and then maybe there was just time made up elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But um, Yeah, well, I'll, yeah, because I... I I'm not actually sure which one I watched. I would assume Stan probably had the not unrated version. Mm. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I read that the only difference really was like the amount of gore, mm. uh, like more blood, more, like a couple more shots of uh, like dead things. Yeah. And I guess that would have been a secure PG rating over there, right? Uh, PG-13, I believe. Yeah. I think this is Sam Raimi's only PG-13 movie. Are the Spider-Man films, what are they? I, would have, I don't think they're PG-13. Okay. Like they're probably just... Just PG. PG, if they have that. Yeah. Anyway. No, that makes sense. Certainly not R. Yeah, no. <laughs> Which is strange. And I was going to talk about it a bit later. Like, mm. I don't think Sam Raimi works when it's only PG-13. Like, I think he needs that extra gore to make up for the slapstick. Mm, that's a very good point because one thing I got from this was it's visceral to the point of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> like Evil Dead. Yeah. Well, that that's like, th- like this movie is extremely Sam Raimi. Mm. Like, you get absolute slapstick comedy. You get the, like, gross-out gore humour. Yeah. With, like, just bodily fluids and stuff. Yeah. Played for comedic effect. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, there's a literal anvil that falls <laughs> on someone's head. Like, that's Looney Tunes. Yeah, shit. I was going to say, it's so cartoonish. And, like, I think, I think maybe the reason, because I was trying to figure out why in Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and stuff like that, mm. it really works for me. But in this movie, it... It didn't work as well and I didn't like it as much. I mm. think it is because you had that contrast of like the Looney Tunes mixed with like the actual gore of it. Yeah. And like the really like visceral like effects. Yeah. Whereas this, you sort of get a sense of that, but not to a good enough extent. I think for me, it's because of CGI. Like that is it, also a big part of like it. Like it's the same stuff as, you know, the Evil Dead franchise just with a computer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, you know taints it a little but it's it's still refreshing um in like a weird nostalgic kind of way to see a movie from 2009 use like that kind of slapstick gore from the 70s and 80s yeah yeah Which, well because so i'm pretty in, you, you mentioned before it was written by by sam and ivan his brother mm. i believe they wrote it in 1992 okay right? it was originally a short story called the curse gotcha. uh, and then gotcha. in 2002 they adapted it into a screenplay after he'd done Spider-Man 3. Mm, okay. And so I don't know if like it was as comedic in their original 90s version mm. or if they sort of played it up more once they actually had the screenplay of it. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Because I did read that the story was kind of inspired by the British horror uh, Night of the Demon. Okay. From, I've not heard of that. Yeah, from 1957. I don't know a lot about it, but I have heard of it. Um, and when you look into that film, it's even like a similar creature design, um, like the Lamia... Uh, and the the demon from that film, uh, and even like the fact of having a three day curse, like okay. before the victim dies, like it's kind of like a straight rip, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because it is like sort of a story that has been seen in previous things. I I mean, I think Happy Days had a very similar couple of episodes or something like that. Mm. Where it was like a three day curse. Got you. Uh, so it's like similar to other things in that regard. But in mm. terms of like mainstream horror movies, it's quite unique. Like you don't really yeah. sort of. I guess you kind of get ones like Smile and It Follows where it's like a time frame of getting cursed with something that's trying to get you. The ring. <laughs> yeah, the ring. But that, oh yeah, literally the ring because you have seven days. Yeah. Uh, but then this one, yeah, like being cursed by someone 
and then having like specifically three days where you just get tormented until the third day they drag you to hell. Mm, mm. Yeah, what what do you think like specifically three days? Like why would it wait? Is it uh, and, and like it gives you a chance to redeem yourself or, you know, essentially to lift the curse by gifting the accursed item onto someone else. Like I wonder wonder why they would do that. Well I might be talking out my ass here, but because I read that they because so, like the demon curse thing in this is what the lam- Lamia you said Lamia yeah Lamia, uh, which I think is originally Greek, but in this it seems yeah. like Spanish folklore. Well, so I was reading an interview that when they were doing sort of research for it, they found like different versions of Lamia, mm. and so they sort of came to the conclusion that it's just the Lamia is a demon or curse that just like can change and like has different interpretations depending on what culture. And gotcha. So, okay. So there is like the Furies in I think Greek mythology. I think they might have had like a three-day time frame. God, yeah, okay. And then even Krampus, like that whole lore and folklore yeah, has like, a, I think they lended some from that with the whole entity that comes and drags you to hell. Mm, I guess the horned aspect as well. Yeah. So Cloven feet. Yeah. So I don't know if they like got the three days specifically from one of those or they just thought, yeah, three days. That's good. Mm. I like it. I mean, it works for a film because I guess the ring, you know, You've got 90 minutes, give or take, to, to show, you know, the passing of a week. Yep. Where, you know, seven as well, I guess. But when you're, you're working with three days, you can sort of focus a bit more on the slow burn. So, yeah. it works, you know, timeline-wise for a plot. Uh, interestingly, Edgar Wright was offered the role of director. I did read that. Wouldn't that be an interesting movie? Yeah. Had to turn it down because he was in the middle of Hot Fuzz, which, thank God, because yeah. what a movie. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I think I was quoting that at work just yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think he also said he just wasn't the right kind of director for it, which is interesting because he's, in some ways, there's parallels between Edgar Wright as being like the modern Sam Raimi with like a dark humor to some like slapstick kind of gore and action. I, I could see that. Maybe it's like turned down to nine mm. instead of turned up to 11. He's Sam yeah. Raimi that's just, just a little bit more subtle. Yeah. Yeah, I and, think so. Uh, way better with editing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, the set design of this film um, was inspired by a production designer, Steve Sacklad's visit to Istanbul uh, in Turkey. So that's why you see a lot of sort of Persian decor in these grand-sized rooms and these old kind of buildings uh, because he, I think, sat down with Sam Raimi and he sort of came to the table with that straight off the bat because he was like recently holidaying over yeah. there. And Sam Raimi really liked that. And I guess Ivan as well, because it kind of tied in with the sort of the history of the Lamia. And I guess uh, in the story of this film, um, you know, how it opens like in the 60s with like the Spanish family coming Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, the psychic medium for help. uh, It made for an easy like throwback. And um, I think when you're having like a big exorcism scene, sorry, um, we go from seeing it in like a girl's bedroom in the Exodus to like this big open <laughs> ancient space and drag yeah. me to hell. And I just think that's really interesting. Sure, sure. A bit more of a traditional kind of setting. Uh, and also the, the cemetery set uh, was <laughs> built on a soundstage with this like elaborate plumbing system underneath it where essentially they just like funneled all this water into this sort of organic, I don't know if it was like artificial dirt, but I was like listening uh, to an interview where... Um, Alison Lohman, I think that was her name, right? The main chick, Christine, um, was like allergic to so many things that they were (laughs) using um, as effects in this film. And she was allergic to like certain types of dirt, which is so unfortunate. Yeah. Um, So they used this particular 
uh, dirt and they were just like flooding it um, to create this mud and the water would just like sift down into this fake grave and just be like recycled back up through the top. Yeah. And um, apparently that took like days and days to get right. Uh, and it's just really interesting because when you watch that scene, like I don't know if they had a, a green screen behind them or they just like had the the right lighting, but I could not tell at all. Oh, you couldn't? Okay, I was I was waiting for you to finish so that I could say I believe that it was on a soundstage. Gotcha. Okay. Like especially the very first shot uh, mm. where it, it might be like her pulling up to it or the one where she like walks up to the grave, mm. like is very evident that it's the, a green screen behind it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if that's maybe just my eyes, but it looked very set it was very mm. much a set yeah which okay. i think is interesting because like one of the reasons after edgar wright turned it down that uh sam Raimi decided to direct it himself mm. was that uh getting a different director would mean he'd have a lower budget mm. i don't know if that's just because he'd have to like pay a director's fee whereas he could take less himself or yeah something behind the scenes but it worked out that if he directed himself he could have a higher budget okay uh and oh you know what it probably was um, writer's strike because I think there was a loophole because he was a writer and director he could go ahead with it at that time okay. I think I heard something about that in an interview I mean maybe maybe yeah. so yeah so that yeah one, so he could direct it himself uh, with the budget higher mm. because he didn't want to cut anything out to lower the budget okay. but then it begs the question of like if, if he wanted the higher budget where did that go? Because <laughs> it wasn't to the effects at all. Yeah, I don't know. That's one thing I will say. Like, I enjoy this movie, but I, I there's just so much of the effects in this could have been done with practical if they just took the time. Well, they did use some practical effects. Like, my favorite oh, well, yeah. is the, the bloody nose scene. Like, oh, the that, office. That, that's the perfect amount of, like, special effects. Well, not special effects, but, like, practical effects mixed with humor mm. where it's just, like, gushing blood out like a fucking... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's that? Uh, what's a samurai director Akira Sawa? Uh, that what I'm thinking of, or someone else? I don't know. Anyway, it's irrelevant. The old samurai movies where like they get cut and then blood just fucking spurts out. Oh, like punch through their chest and rip their heart out, or yeah. shit like that. Like knock their head off. Super like stylized gore. Yeah, uh, it's like used to perfect like comedic effect. Mm. But then you got awful scenes like the when the anvil falls on Ganusha's head and the eyeball in a nice evil dead. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. The eyeball shoots into fucking Christine's mouth. But yeah. that looks so bad with the CGI. Yeah, it looks like she gets slapped with jelly <laughs> or like melted ice cream. Um, I do like in that scene though that because it's all like a hallucination, when she like sort of wipes her face away, like nothing is there. Like it's just the yeah. anvil on the ground, her like clean and tidy. But I mean, okay, why did she have an anvil tied up on the roof? <laughs> Who cares? It was just so funny. <laughs> did they have a rat problem and it's like a makeshift rat trap? <laughs> I suspended my disbelief long enough to enjoy that scene because yeah. I was like, this is a Sam Raimi film. I'm not going in with like a sense of logic. Yeah. But no. there were so many homages to Evil Dead in this, um, which was great. And even like um, the, the scene uh, in the grave where uh, she kind of gets like, tangled up in Ganusha's corpse and she's like drowning and she reaches out on a, this like candid shot of her reaching mm-hmm. out of the mud. Very much just looked like the Evil Dead poster. Yep, yep, absolutely. It was nice. But um, yeah, I guess uh, moving into like post 2000s, sorry, it had its fair share of jump scares as well. Um, sure. I enjoyed most of them. I didn't think there were too many cheesy ones in here. I think my favorite was probably during the psychic session. Yeah, she's getting like her fortune read. Yeah, I was about to say that's the only one I liked. Mm, okay. uh, all the other ones felt kind of cheap and like they were all accompanied with bad CGI. Mm. Uh, but that one, like the setting was right for it. Yeah, there was yeah. enough build up. And also, I, and I can't remember his name, D- 
Dilip, Dalip, whatever. Yeah, something like that. Whatever the man's name was. I apologize. Uh, like he played it very well. Yeah. You know? Because he just kind of like calmly looks around the room and the camera's like following his gaze. Mm. And then he just drops back down to look at her and this fucking fiery face launches at you and the volume of the soundtrack just like yeah. triples. But then the ones with like the, the handkerchief, like I didn't like any of them. I was fucking laughing when it got stuck on the windscreen wiper. <laughs> okay. That was, yeah. I don't know. Something about, like, goofy scares. Um, but I yeah. did like, though, when the, the handkerchief, like, flies out from the fucking, the Oldsmobile, the Sam, Sam Raimi Oldsmobile, yep. which you, you gotta love, um, like, was sort of elegantly floating around the car in the car park. And then it started sort of, like refocuses on the shadow of the woman in the back seat mm-hmm. and he just kind of like leans forward that yep. was really nice yeah but when it like yeah gets stuck in the grill and like shoots out of the air vent on her face like that was or fucking when it like forces its way into her throat and she like catches it with just two fingers oh, that reminded me of a scene with ryan reynolds in life okay i still need to watch that yeah it's much more terrifying in life in this okay. i was laughing but um <laughs> yeah look it was stupid but i enjoyed it i feel like that 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 could be said about a lot of the things in this movie yeah. and like just Sam Raimi in general. Like a lot yeah. of it is stupid, but enjoyable. Mm, yeah. It's, it's not like a film that's winning any Oscars or that you're going to like read into the meaning of it or anything. It's just one of those <laughs> ones you can switch your brain off and enjoy some like modern body horror. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think that's what he set out for. Like he, mm. he's not out there to make an elevated horror like the fucking Ariasters and the Jordan yeah, Peele nah. thing, but he's not just doing like shameless cash grabs just to make money. Mm. He's like, I have an idea. I want to make a movie that people can go in and just have fun watching. This is like what the A Nightmare on Elm Street remake could have been if it wanted to blend like the slapstick <laughs> elements of the later installments. That'd be uh, that'd be interesting because uh, yeah, Freddy Krueger did eventually turn into like slapstick comedy. Mm. But I would very much be interested in seeing a Sam Raimi Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome. I'm sure he'd be uh, down for it. Oh given yeah, the, the respect he has for Wes Craven. Rest in peace. Um, you know what I particularly enjoyed, though, about this film, and I guess a slightly serious note, was uh, the use of shadows. Like, particularly when the Lamia is, like, outside the door mm-hmm. of the room and you see, like, the the hooves sort of under there and then the shadow of the legs, like, creep under the door and stretch into arms. Yeah. And, like, grab her. That was sick. Very good um, shadow play. Yeah, and even in the opening scene where it's like the throwback to 1969, I think it was, uh, and the boy's like in the chapel and he looks up and in like the skylight, you can mm. see like demon hands clawing over it and there's like three-fingered like creature hands and there's yep. like human hands with long fingernails. Like, yeah, it was just awesome. I think it's a good way to like... It, it's sort of a cheat of showing the monster without showing the monster. Because mm. like so often you get ones that show the monster and it's like, oh, well, well, now we've seen it's not that scary. Yeah, yeah. Or something that just doesn't show anything. Mm. Whereas, like, oh, yeah, use a couple of shadows and, like, you're getting a sense of the monster but not actually seeing it. I quite enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, I'm a sucker for glimpses of the monster. I mean, mm. literally look at the 1922 Nosferatu. The most famous <laughs> shot in, like, horror history is the shadow coming up the stairs. Um, but, yeah, and also, like, even just the creaking of the iron gate mm-hmm. at a house in the wind, like, the, the open windows and doors that just create this, like ominous sense of dread and impending doom with the three days you know left on the curse but also like that invisible threat i guess um because even like half the film is people getting beaten up by wind <laughs> like the lamia is not like this physical creature that you see it's like this shadow monster um and this demon that like possesses you know one of these like throwaway characters near the big sort of fight at the end um and that's like the closest you get to seeing it like it's not a physical yeah. form which i quite enjoyed 
And um, one last thing I guess I'll mention about like sort of the backstory of it is they kind of mention in dialogue a bit that the main character, Christine, had an eating disorder when she was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of wondered what the point of that was, like mentioning it a few times. But then sort of when I thought about it, you see her like helping herself to like a tub of ice cream when she's like lactose intolerant. You see her like eating, you know, cake and uh, there's like the bowl of candy on her desk at work. So mm-hmm. it's always there like there's also the lingering scene. shots. There's also the scene of like at the very beginning when she walks past a cupcake store, like looks in longingly and then yeah. continues on. Yeah. So like there was all these sort of nudges to it, but why? Uh, look, I, off the top of my head. So I've seen, I read a couple of people's theories that the whole movie is an allegory for eating disorders. I think maybe that's a bit too much. I don't see that. Mm. I would like to look into it as... Because Sam Raimi himself has even said the whole story of this movie is a morality tale about greed. Yeah. And so maybe that could play into, like... Because she's this, he's essentially saying that she's a greedy character and that's her downfall. Mm. And so maybe he's using, like, the eating disorder, like, greed for eating as, like, like almost gluttony. Yeah. As a way to, like, show that. And, like, okay. a manifestation of her greed, like, is also food. Like the seven deadly sins in a way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, there's also, uh, I guess on the note of greed, has like very manipulative characters in this. Like the family, like Justin Long, uh, what's his name? Clay? Mm-hmm. Clay's parents, like very sort of elitist, snobby, controlling people, um, like that disapprove of Christine. And yep. um, even like Christine's boss uh-huh. is very... Yeah, essentially saying she's got no shot at this role that she's working her ass off for when the other guy is like a sleazy cheat. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like um, if it's a tale of morality, you've got like this person that's at their wits end, like doing their best to be a good person um, and redeeming themselves in any way they can. And then they make this one choice that fucks them over and literally sends them to hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I that, don't know. that's where like the difference is he, that's what he intended is a morality tale where because of her greed and she's a greedy person, she, you know, has to suffer the consequences. Mm. I don't really think that they did a good enough job in like portraying that. Yeah. Because I don't see her as a greedy character. Like the, I, I get that they set up that, yeah, she has a choice to either help uh, Ganusha's character, mm. you know, get her house back or give her an extension. Like that's a choice and she chooses the, what they say is the greedy option to mm. further her own career instead of helping a poor old woman. Mm. But the way that they portray Ganoush is like, you don't feel sorry for her. No. Like it's very the, entitled. It's very much the obvious option that she's going to deny her because she's had two extensions already. Mm. She's a rude old lady who's like kind of uh, like playing into her own, like, Oh, I'm sick and whatever. Mm. But she's also, yeah, she's not a nice person. Yeah. And so it, from the outside looking at it, it's not a hard choice for yeah. her to do that. Whereas I would have liked it if it actually was a hard choice. She actually, it like, it's more evident that it's a greedy option. Like, okay, I could mm. help this woman, but I'm going to choose to do the one that's going to benefit me. Yeah, like if Miss Ganush, Mrs. Ganush was like this sort of single pregnant young lady or something. And you know what? I'm fine with her being old and decrepit. <laughs> old and alone. And <laughs> yeah. Just, just maybe not so obnoxiously mm. like annoying or like obnoxiously entitled. Yeah, you do make a good point though, because I mean, Christine does show a lot of restraint. Like she's a very disciplined character, and mm. if Sam Raimi and Ivan were going for greed being sort of like the 
underlying theme of this film. It it is very light on for something as serious as getting sent to hell. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's that. Um, on the note of Miss Ganoush, I did like, however, that she had like one good eye, one bad eye, and she had like these filthy false teeth. <laughs> but then is like eating sweets like on Chris's desk and like dumps the whole bowl in a bag. So it was yeah. kind of this contrast. It's very surface level, like, analogy I felt of good and evil. Okay. Oh, you say it's surface level. I didn't see it. But okay. <laughs> right. Well, I just thought because, like you know, that. health is a very sort of far-fetched uh, metaphor for, good, for you know, the, the endless war between good and evil. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, in a film where you've got hell involved, you need some sort of contrast. If it's not going to be subliminal in, like, the lighting and the sound, if you do it in something like that, I mm. thought that was a nice touch. Um, yeah, but also my favorite scene is, uh, the first interaction after the bank between Mrs. Ganush and Chris and oh, they're in her car in yeah, the car okay, park, yep. like after the, you know, um, silhouette in the backseat of the car I was talking about yep. before that whole fight is just so <laughs> comical and ridiculous and I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but yeah, when you've got scenes where she, her teeth fall out, so she's like <laughs> gumming Alice, uh, Christine's fucking jaw with a fucking disgusting ass mouth. That was the funniest, <sighs> grossest shit yeah. I've seen in a horror film in a long time. I, for, for that, pretty much that entire scene, I wasn't actually sure if she was real or not, or if she was uh, like, if she'd already been cursed and that was like part of the tormenting. Because and especially because lit in that scene she gets a fucking ruler mm. shoved in her fucking gullet. Yeah, and like sneezes it out. Yeah, like how? how I does, agree. How does that happen? <laughs> I agree. She seemed to have like superhuman strength, mm. and even when like you know she's driving off, Chris buckles up her seatbelt, slams on the brakes, and Mrs. Ganush like slams into the dash and shatters her false teeth. She puts them back in, and they're like fangs, and she just keeps coming. So I think yeah. at that point she's like invited the Lamia in or she's you know somehow uh, okay. she's she's, she's uh, relying on some sort of supernatural she's transcended stuff. at this point and she's yeah half demonic or something I don't know because like you said later in the film whenever she pops up she's not actually there yeah. it's just taunting she, she Chris she dies very soon after yeah so it's almost like the Lamia takes the form of Mrs. Ganush mm-hmm. so I like that so she she used herself as a vessel for the Lamia and then mm. died I like that yeah, uh, yeah. I, I do like though that how you have this like Kind of long, like, fight sequence, very, like, uh, you know, physical mm. between them, very aggressive. And then yeah. it ends very suddenly when he, she just pulls off a button and curses her. And then she's like, yep, that's that's yeah. all I wanted. That was so good. Because, you, you know, you think she's, like, trying to kill her. Yeah. Reaches out when she's, like, on the ground, uh, you know, covered in shattered glass and just picks a button off her, <laughs> the wrist of her coat. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really interesting because there's something so simple and easy to lose. Mm-hmm. So when you've got to curse an item that is owned by the person you want sent to hell in three days, if you take something so insignificant, it's so easy to lose. And mm-hmm. it, how do you gift a button with someone willingly taking it so you can lift the curse and, or, you know, shift it? Um, I thought that was really cool because it'd be so easy to do something like their car or a treasured childhood mm-hmm. memory or something like that. So that was a nice touch. Good writing, yeah, I thought. Yeah. Um, and also... Uh, <laughs> Gets, like, her eye stapled shut. <laughs> like, does Chris just have a whole fucking stationary drawer <laughs> in the cup holder of her car? Like, what the hell? 
yeah. And what about like when she's sleeping and she starts hallucinating at home and um, you get like the house fly, like crawls in one nostril, comes out the other. I'm ter- like, that's probably happened to a lot of us in our <laughs> no, sleep. The that, amount of bugs we've eaten. That's a myth. You don't eat bugs in your sleep. Oh, thank fuck. Cause, uh, yuck. Yeah. Cause you'd wake up. Right, surely. I don't know. Some people sleep like the dead. Looks over to Alex. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, that was a very cool scene. Yeah, well, I don't like. Is that fly? No, it has to be real, because it's strange. Because like, oh yeah, there's a weird looking fly that flies in one nostril out the other. How she doesn't wake up from that? Cool. She sleeps like the dead. All right, mm. and then she swallows it, and then she wakes up. Yeah, like starts uh, coughing. Like, is that a real fly? Because later the dinner scene, she like coughs it back up. But are you trying to tell me that fly lived in her stomach for like a day or two? Or is that fly just another uh, part of the curse that then everyone can see? That's true. I was going to say that I think that was another hallucination. But when she's at the dinner table with Clay and his family, they all see it. So that's a good point. You know what she needs to do is swallow a spider <laughs> and then a cat and then a dog and then a horse. Well, a kitten does get regurgitated. True. Yep. Didn't see any spiders though, but that did remind me of in Arachnophobia when they find like the couple on the couch and the spider just oh, crawls yeah. out of the nose. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Yep. Um, but yeah, and what about when she like lays back down again and Clay has become like Mrs. Ganoush? And then yep. you get that like conjuring esque scene where it just floats above the bed and just spews maggots all over her face. I do like that. Yeah. I do like that whole scene. Was that was uh, pasta. Pasta? Okay. Yeah. I could kind of tell because when I first saw it, it, there was one maggot that was like. <laughs> A couple inches long, and I thought it just looked like a noodle. <laughs> they and, just uh, use spiral, <laughs> spiral pasta. <laughs> Turns out it was, um, but yeah, and just more so on the bodily fluids. Um, it's a bit, a bit of a weird scene. This this whole movie, like when she's trying to like find out how to lift this curse, and she goes sort of from the fortune teller to Mrs. Ganush and um, all these different places. Um, she goes back to Mrs. Ganush's house, and her like granddaughter answers the door. And then she finds out Mrs. Ganush has died. Yep. And they're having like a funeral. A wake, sure. Yeah, more like a party down in the basement. Well, that's what a wake is. It's just a party. Well, at first, I thought like a lot of that was non-diegetic and another hallucination. And she like walked down in there and this like celebration was happening. And then she, something would happen and she'd like come to and it's just her and the oh, granddaughter. So like it was some sort of vision or not vision, but like yeah, yeah hallucination. Like I watched that entire scene and I still was not certain it actually happened. Okay. No, I, I pretty much took it at face value. So, okay. yeah, I don't know. Weird. It was really fucked up, though. She, like, stumbles over this open <laughs> casket, and Mrs. Ganusha's corpse falls on her and just spews all this green liquid. Yeah. Like, what was that, embalming fluid? I don't know. I, I do like the sort of running joke throughout the movie that even when fucking Miss Ganusha is dead, she's still yeah. like, like attacking her. Like, yeah, yeah. She just keeps getting caught in her head. <laughs> like that, it was that, very that, funny. That is very like darkly comedic. Yeah, yeah. I did like that. Um, and uh, when she sacrifices the kitten, because she goes to the fortune teller first, and he's mm-hmm. like, look, generally you can offer an animal sacrifice and it'll move along. You know, all it wants is blood in its honor, you know, sure. to be worshipped, whatever. So she kills the kitten, which, man, as soon as I... Saw there was a little kitten in this film. I knew it was going to die at some point, but did it have to be a fucking baby? Like, I mean, I, it was so cute. That really caught me off guard because we're, lo- like, we're watching the movie, Alex and I, and the kittens run around, and as soon as like the fortune teller tells her that, Alex looks at me, she's like, the kitten. I'm like, yeah. I'm like don't worry. They, they're not going to kill a kitten, surely. Yeah. And they killed a fucking kitten. It took me by surprise. Yeah. And there's not really any build up to it either. She just like, yeah. she's reading the book at the at the table, cat jumps up on her, and then later in like that same day she's 
grabs Kipchin knife and away she goes. Like I can, in the yard. I can see what they're going for because she like it comes off the back of her really experiencing the like curse now. Mm. Like okay, it's manifested. It's actually real, and so that's like mm. a change in her. That all right. I believe in it now. Time to do something about it. Yeah. I just wish it had more weight to it. Yeah. Like, like she immediately flipped and had no trouble killing the cat. Yeah. They played it for like comedic effect. And then even later when they're talking to the parents, when she's like had a cat and there's a bit <laughs> that of like, awkward silence was great. Silence there. Like she doesn't care about it. I would have liked it more if she had any form of emotional connection or rep- repercussions from it. Yeah, that's true. It like, you're right. It was good for a laugh, but and, and the fact that it was a cute little kitten that would have only been like a few weeks old, like that was hard enough to, to watch or infer. But I guess if it was, yeah, like some, you know, dog that she's had for 10 years or something that she takes everywhere, it would have been more emotional, like mm. watching, you know, Will Smith strangle his dog in I Am Legend or something like yeah. that. Um, but I did like, uh, before you see her sacrifice the kitten, I think it's the scene when she's like in the attic getting chased by the Lamia sort of shadow under the door. There's like a poster of that, like, you know, the, the <laughs> classic baby, baby poster. Hang on. Yeah, the cat hanging on the, the tree trunk. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. But also uh, in the bedroom scene where she's like swallowing fly and then gets the maggots spewed up on her, there's a poster of the band The Hives on the wall. And I thought okay. that was nice considering there's like a fly and maggots like as a theme of bugs Okay, fair in enough. that scene. Well, I mean, that's like a thing about set design is like usually there's a reason it's put on there. Mm. And so like especially something as big and significant as like a poster on a wall where you very much going to see it in frame. Mm. Like, there's always going to be a reason they picked that particular poster. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a nice touch. And, um, yeah. How about the uh, the eye cake at, uh, <laughs> at the dinner or whatever it is at Clay's parents? That was great. It's interesting. Uh, it was a very funny scene, that whole whole exchange. It reminded me of the, the eye in, like, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Oh, where, like, yeah. That appears on his head. Yeah. It's just the same effect. It's just an eye popping up out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it to be an eye. Like, I knew something was going to pop up in the cake because she's, like, staring at it, looking around, staring at it. I don't know. It's like a fork on a plate. Like, fingernails on a chalkboard kind of sound that, like, drives her crazy mm. until she, you know, gets up and screams at the door. But then when she stabs the eyes, it's like, thick, pussy, like, <laughs> bloody shit oozes out of it, which was great. And uh, I'm presuming only she could see that. But then yep. when she does, like, cough up the fly, everyone can see that. So... Yeah, I don't know what they were going for with the fly there, but the eye cake was... That was cool. And, um, yeah, the anvil scene. I don't know if we mentioned it before, but, like, how Mrs. Ganoush's ghost, like, pops up. But, like, punches her in the mouth. and her, <laughs> She just ends up elbow deep in her throat. Yeah. Like, I've seen that still before. I've, I've seen it on the internet somewhere, and I didn't know it was from this movie. So, when I thought like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's fucking sick yeah i wonder i wonder how they did that because that that's a nice blend of i don't know if they used cgi or practical effects mm. I, I would presume perhaps cgi yeah but like that's that's an effect that's done well enough that looks good i think it would have been maybe like prosthetic face with like a an enlarged mouth and a fake arm hanging out of it put over the actor's face but that would have been hard if she's yeah. like moving around as well because it would have been heavy i think yeah. i don't know and also like sort of in the final act you get the medium from that opening sequence comes back um, and sort of conducts that seance where they try to, uh, they try to like summon the Lamia and they sit around this table with some other guy, uh, the fortune teller and a goat. Yep. And she kind of says, I'm going to invite it into my body. You place my hand on the goat so I can transfer it to that goat. And then this guy with the machete over here is going to kill it. Yep. 
And of course he fucking misses. And then yeah, the goat, the talking goat, by the way. I <laughs> love that. Bites him. That's a that's very uh, like Sam Raimi, uh, like the deer head in Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Like yeah. That, that sort of puppet looks great. I'm glad they did that instead mm. of CGI. Yeah, that was funny. Um, that whole scene was just like the three stooges. It was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was funny. I, I'll be honest, I did not like the second half of that scene where like, where, like the dude that had the machete gets possessed and he's floating above the table with like makeup on his face that looks like the fucking vampires from Angel or Buffy and yeah. then just like this red cloudy stuff like pours out of him and, you know, it turns out, oh no, it wasn't exercised or anything. You no, know, it didn't lift the curse. He just kind of like delayed it. And I was <laughs> like, okay, well, so what was the, the point of this big like final act here? I don't know. It was like, it had some gimmicks in there that, you know, made it enjoyable enough. Yeah, I guess I don't really know why the scenes in there for tie up some loose ends of that that woman, the the old psychic character. Yeah, I guess it's to like finally get to the point of like, all right, the fortune teller tells her, all right, well, the last resort is to try and pass the curse on. Mm. I did notice though. Um, so you've got like the regurgitated kitten and the talking goat, but also there's like ghosts from different like eras because. <laughs> One of them kind of explains that this doorway to hell or, you know, the afterlife or whatever, there are like some restless souls like linger by the doorway and they can slip through from time to time when something passes. Yep. Um, I thought maybe they were going to call back to how at the dinner table with Clay's parents, Chris said that her dad died and oh, maybe yeah. like he was going to make an appearance in it somehow, but it's never I touched feel like, on... I think that'd be like shoehorned in. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to see that. Yeah. It was never kind of touched on since. So I think that whole point of her kind of like talking about her alcoholic mother and how they are estranged from each other was just a way to like break the ice with the parents and they kind of have it like, you know, you're holding your breath in this really awkward scene where it seems like the mother's grilling her about how she's not good enough for a son kind of thing. And then they find common ground, they get along, but then she fucks it up by coughing up a fly and freaking out. Um, Yeah. I I do like that character moment between like her and the mother where the mother like realizes, oh, I've judged you harshly, which I guess sort of even more sort of plays into the like, don't judge a book by its cover that this movie might be trying to say as well. Mm. Like, okay, yep, she judged the Ganoush, Mrs. Ganoush, and rejected her. The yeah. mother, like, judged Christine too harshly, rejected her. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I like that sort of parallel there, but... Yeah, so she finds out she's got to gift the button, the cursed button, to someone to lift the curse, and she goes to a diner, and she's like, look around to see who she could, like, palm it off to and mm-hmm. fuck over. And she sees like a happy couple and then she sees like the old guy on an oxygen tank. And yep. I really like that moment where she sort of approaches him and then the, you know, loving wife comes into the picture and he's happy again. That's and she's wholesome, like, man. I, I, watched yeah. that, I watched that very small scene there and I, I felt good. That got like, me man, in the feels. That's a great old couple. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's kind of riddled with guilt. So she's like, that's it. I'm calling up that dude. What's his name? Stu. Stu, yeah. That she works with. Um, and he like races into the diner, like <laughs> crying. And she's like, you know what? Go home. Because yeah. <laughs> I thought that would have been interesting if she like palmed it off to him and um, I don't know, like somehow it didn't work and then she, you know, died anyway. But um, no, instead she she uh, is again like from the beginning. She, you know, is is um, humble enough to uh, carry the burden that, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that she's created. And um, yeah, and then I thought um, when they're in the car and, you know, they swerve to miss the guy and break suddenly, she spills a handbag and all the contents go over the footwell, I knew then that, okay, she's not going to like have the button in the yeah. end scene. But I thought like Justin Long's character, Clay, was going to like end up with it. And then oh, yeah. he would be cursed, like inadvertently, you know, she gave it to him in a way. Um, but I do like the way they flip it. 
is instead they kind of like meet up at the train station and she's got this new coat and he's like, oh, why, why did you get a new one? Because I found the button, you know, it must have fallen out. And she's yeah. like, oh my God. But then it's like a double bluff because she like freaks out. It's almost a tri- triple bluff. So you have that. <laughs> she freaks out and it's like, oh, okay. So it's going to happen to him. No, she's walking backwards. She falls on the train tracks and there's this train coming. And they're like, oh, okay. No. So in the end, she's not even going to, you know, get caught up. Um, with the lummy and get dragged out. She's going to get cleaned up by a fucking train. And then it rips the rug out again. And no, in fact, the ground does open up and she, you know, these these rocks on the tracks become these coals and, you know, this crevice opens up with this nice orange glowing light from, um, from the fiery pits of hell and she literally gets dragged to hell. It does exactly what the title says. It's, um, I just really enjoy that because I, I, I didn't really see any of it coming. Like whenever I thought something was going to happen and then it didn't, I was like, oh, okay, so that means this is going to happen. And then that didn't. And I was like, okay, that's, that's smart. I really like that. I really like everything you just said because I think that would have been interesting if they did like transfer it to Justin Long's character. Because mm. uh, like he was about to propose to her. Yeah. As well. I think it would be, yeah, maybe a little bit more tragic. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I like I said, I've I'd seen that final scene, so I knew eventually she would get dragged to hell. Mm. Uh, and then as soon as like yeah, they slammed on the brakes and lost mine. I'm like, well, that seems very obvious, but yeah. I don't know if that's just because I'd already seen it. Yeah, so okay. I'd be interested to know if like someone who didn't know the ending of the movie mm. thought like immediately noticed that, like, oh yeah, well she's lost a button, and then oh yeah, because it it kind of seems very obvious. Yeah, well that's what I mean. That's. When I saw that, I was like, oh, it's a little on the nose. But then when they kind of twist it in a way, um, that was really nice. But I also love the final shot. It's just him, like, crying, looking <laughs> at this button over the tracks. It was like, it's just a really good lingering shot, you know, after you just had the, the rug pulled out from under you. So, yeah. Yeah, I think he does a very good job of, like, portraying the, like... Just the, the shock. Throughout the whole movie, he's a very skeptical, logical man. Like, he doesn't believe any of it. But he is a good enough boyfriend to like help her out and believe her. Like mm. he believes something's going on. Yeah. But not exactly that it's supernatural. And then the final shot is like his whole world being turned upside down and the oh no, it's real and I've just seen my uh but woman I was about to propose to get dragged into hell, my whole life has changed and I'm forever traumatized. Yeah. Or because of a fucking button. Yeah. Do you reckon now that he's got the button, it starts again? Like the ring? No, 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 absolutely it's, not. It's done and he can just dispose no. of it? It's a curse. She was cursed. The curse has been fulfilled. Yeah. Wow. The fact that the whole film is kind of commenting on uh, greed, monster society, and everyone trying to like one-up each other, and even the fact that they have Clay come from like uh, an upper-class background, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and she says how her, her dad died and her mum's an alcoholic, and, you know, she's slaving away at this job uh, where, you know, she's doing much better than the other guy and still there's favoritism against her. Like, all everything's going against her. And, uh, you know, she declines an extension for a woman that's already had to and is not a particularly likable character, yeah. yet gets sent to hell. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, this film is so unjust, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what did you think of, like, the portrayal of Ganoush as, like, this old gypsy, like, the old trope of a, mm. a gypsy woman putting a curse on someone? Well, do you think in the opening scene where it's, like, a flashback to the 60s and they say the kid, you know, is getting pursued by the Lamia because he stole the gypsy's necklace, was it hers? That's what I sort of thought. You think that's I, implied? I don't, know if, I don't know if, yeah, they flat out say or mm. wanting to that, but that's the way I saw it. Because you never it's see... The same person. Yeah, you never see Mrs. Ganush as like a younger lady in the opening. And she never mentions that she's a gypsy. Mm-hmm. Neither does the granddaughter. 
But I think the fortune teller says something about like stealing from a gypsy brings bad luck or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like when he's listing like how she might have got the curse. Like, did you yeah. steal from a gypsy woman? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the way that they kind of tie it in. But yeah, look, no, I, I you know, don't know a great deal about gypsies, but uh, I thought she I thought she was uh, a fitting enough character for that role. Fair enough. Yeah. I think I would have liked it better if they had like another like Romani character because I think I've said before, gypsy is like the sort of colloquial sort of not derogative but pejorative is that a word oh i don't know i don't know it's another term for romani okay uh because now i want to i want to get my history right here i believe the romani people originated from somewhere in india but then were like a nomadic culture of people yeah and then traveled around and uh once they got to sort of maybe european or somewhere around there the people there thought they came from egypt okay and so like language being language egypt like gypta gypsy gotcha okay but then because it's been sort of adapted to like sort of make fun of them Mm. then i think i can't remember what year it was but some group in like some government in europe Mm. pretty much said hey you know please don't use gypsy use romani Uh, and so there's that like trope of oh yeah the romani people are are just full of like conniving uh magical like drunkard Mm. party people who are like stealing and doing all that stuff yeah so i would have liked it more if there was like that yep the the actual gypsy ganoush character but then also if like the granddaughter was maybe a bigger part and it's yeah. just like a more normal romani person to show that like not all romani people are like this mm. that would have been good have like the the generational gap because even mm. when you see like the other people in that basement at the wake or whatever it is mm. like they're sort of these boisterous intimidating people yeah uh but then when she knocks over the open casket and um <laughs> disrespects them they're all very like humanizing and yeah offended and they're not like uh they don't confront her about it yeah because I, I i think there was like some amount of backlash in some smaller like communities of people that like said this movie was just trying to take mm. advantage of the gypsy stereotype and use it just to portray the story but okay it doesn't affect me in any way i'm not a romani yeah, I mean, they could have just said that the old lady was a witch and then when they didn't grant her a loan extension, she just cursed them. But I think having the gypsy backstory was just different and interesting. Sure. Yeah. Could have taken the easy way out, but they didn't. Yeah. In terms of the technique of this film, man, lots of candid framing. I mean, that is that is Sam Raimi. This was, every film that he does, well, bar maybe the Spider-Man films, yeah, every one yeah. he has more creative control on. It's just fucking like Dutch tilts and yep. fucking 45 degree angles. And, and what I liked about camera that... Camera zooms following the camera. Yeah. Uh, following the uh, character. Like tracking them. I liked that the camera as well, when uh, scenes were sort of taking a dark turn, the camera would literally turn to a candid frame. Yeah. It wouldn't start like cut to a candid shot. That was really interesting. And really slow as well. It reminded me a lot of Scream. Okay. And, um, yeah, I thought as well, uh, there was a really nice shot where she climbs out of the grave after she's shoved the fucking envelope back in uh, Mrs. Ganoush's <laughs> corpse's mouth. Yeah. Um, and she's, like, staring up in the rain and it's, like, washing the mud off her face. And then it's this transition to her in a shower. Mm-hmm. That was, like, seamless. That was beautiful. That uh, was, yeah. like, It Chapter 2-esque level <laughs> transitions. Um, I really enjoyed that. Also, the score was really interesting. It was like this dark symphonic music, and uh, it was composed by Christopher Young, Christopher Young who has a lot of horror history. He did um, Hellraiser, Urban Legend, and The Grudge, to name a few. Damn, that's a 
That's a that's a good so, resume. Yeah, yeah. I was looking him up because I've I've heard the name before, but I just couldn't put my finger on what he's been attributed to. And yeah, he's got quite a, a quite an extensive resume in the in the horror genre. Nice. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, but even then, like, I don't know if it was just me watching it on my PlayStation on Blu-ray with like these <laughs> bookshelf monitors, but it was like so loud whenever there was music or a jump scare or action and then the dialogue was so quiet and i don't know if that was my monitor levels or whether that was deliberate in mixing so people would like turn the volume up at home or in a cinema you'd be listening closely and then a jump scare would scare the shit out of you just because it's so fucking loud did you experience that well i watched it on stan so streaming service and all streaming services are notoriously bad for like sound mixing. Mm. Like for some reason, and Netflix is especially the worst offender. Right. They, okay. they just have a habit of all the dialogue is very quiet and then all of the music and action scenes is very loud. I don't yeah. know why. I'm sure there's some sort of a reason for it. Netflix trailers when you're on the homepage is like <laughs> you're in a fucking cinema. Yeah. So I, I don't understand, but. Yeah. I don't know. That, Cause I'll be honest, like watching that kind of detracted the experience a little bit for me because it was, getting to a point where it wasn't enjoyable when there was a jump scare. Like, yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I was like, oh, that was loud. <laughs> All of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, I'm sorry, neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, look, minor gripe for a film that was pretty well done uh, in a Sam Raimi style post-2000. A little bit more CGI than I would have liked, but I had a lot of fun watching this. Yeah, I think I think overall it's it's... It's a fun movie that you can enjoy watching maybe with some friends. Mm. Uh, and if you try to delve in and find too much meaning like we do, then it's slightly less enjoyable. Yeah. But I yeah. think if you want to turn your brain off and watch it, that's completely fine. Yeah. Man, the next episode's going to be a big one. I'm keen. Should we give him a clue? I'll give him a clue. It's going to be a personal favorite of yours. It's an old oh, one. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep, there it is. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't know how else to explain it without uh, giving it away. Well, that does give it away. Yeah, okay. Uh, Anyway, in the, in the meantime, you can uh, catch us on our social medias at Deadhouse mm-hmm. or Deadhouse Pod. Mm-hmm. Email is deadhousepod at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can catch us when we release our next episode at 5 p.m. on Friday. Indeed. We'll be right back.